0: Welcome to the Unfathomable Podcast with Elizabeth Wells. This is Podcast Number 3, and we are traversing the path of the pathless path on love and loss, grief and renewal, spirit and sorrow. And in this Podcast Number 3, I will be talking about secondary losses, and reaching back in time to find my roots. Grief comes in waves, people say, but I say it's often like one long tsunami, untethered, unmoored, I'm on a boat at sea, with no motor, no sails, no rudder, no oars. It's the middle of the ocean, the middle of the night, and there's no land in sight. Occasionally people may show up, row by in their boats for an instant, or be like a mirage in the distance because I know they don't understand fully, and they won't stay. Many leave permanently. They walk away, part of what's called secondary loss. The losses one experiences after the great initial loss. It's when you lose family and friends who don't understand, can't understand those who want to fix you which only makes it worse because although you may feel broken and your heart sick you're not sick you are grieving you're grieving in a world that doesn't understand so you become more isolated secondary losses are not just in the people who leave your life or who you distance yourself from because of their lack of understanding or compassion. But secondary losses also include financial loss for some, loss of homes for others. Sometimes people suddenly have to move out of their homes, or they live with a thought or threat that in a few years they may have to leave, while struggling and scrambling in their minds to figure out how they can stay where they are, or find roots on what feels like an alien planet now without their loved one. Very often a sense of life purpose and direction is lost. We no longer understand what life is about. Maybe we never did, but it's worse in grief. Oh, and and grief robs your brain cells. I call it grief brain, (laughs) because your brain and concentration power goes out the window. It's truly affected and diminished. After one therapy session I was in, I was told to go home and rest. But instead, I had a lot of energy, and so I went home, and I started to run a bath and clean the kitchen and make a soup and take the dishes out of the dishwasher and make a phone call, and then suddenly I remembered the bath water. By then, it had flooded three rooms and washed out into the garage. (laughs) I quickly turned off the stove so I wouldn't burn down the house. I cleaned the floors. And I so wished my mom was there to tell her what a crazy time it was and to laugh with her about what I just did. But she wasn't there, which made it worse. And then I finally rested. Another time, I backed my car into the garage door. Another time, I drove through a stop sign and then a red light. These behaviors are not typical of me. But during this grief they were and I had to be extra careful I met one woman who told me it took her three years to get back to start to get back her fuller concentration this is your brain on grief grief brain when you are so exhausted because the emotional work and what you're going through internally, no one sees. They wonder what you did all day. Dare you tell them you laid in bed half the day or the whole day? Because you're still recovering from something you did yesterday? Or you were knocked down by something somebody said? Or because you went somewhere and it reminded you so much of something with your loved one that it just knocked the breath out of your body? it takes work grief you wouldn't think huh secondary losses zap your concentration your energy and your motivation to want to do anything at all I mean lack of motivation it's it's a part of grief this is my experience and this is what I found out from countless others and from grief counselors this can Be one's experience. Maybe not everybody's, but a certain part of the population, certainly. Secondary loss includes the dreams you previously had for yourself or your loved one. Your entire life's perspective may change. Your ability to even want to be here or take care of yourself physically at all, or travel or live a life you thought you wanted to live. It may all go poof, into thin air. Who you were before is different. You may not know who you are anymore at all. Places you enjoy before may suddenly bring post-traumatic memories or sadness or regret or joy, if you're lucky. The first time I went to California after my mom passed I was a mess because I didn't get my mom back there because I had so many memories with her of certain places I had been with her there because I missed making new memories with her there and it it hurt my heart it haunted me I wept I wept on seeing the blanket of purple flowers that covered my friend's yard, his home that I never got her back to, that I thought I didn't know how to get her back there, you know, with her older body and and so many things that, that were going on in my head of whether his house would be right for her. And when I got to his house, I realized it would have been okay if I could have figured out how to get her there. And for me, though I can hear my mom saying, I'm seeing it now through you, I'm seeing it with you, don't worry about this, have no regrets. But for me, when I was there, it was a huge regret. It was a huge sorrow. I couldn't get past looking at anything without wanting her there next to me. How I travel now is a loss for me because I called her from every airport I was in. Every hotel I arrived to. And now she's not here to call and to hear her voice. Fear, anxiety, and terror may suddenly creep into your day or explode full-on into your life minute by minute on awakening. The list of secondary losses goes on. So you're alone on an island or a boat adrift at sea. And sometimes the people you want to be there for you so much aren't and they can't be. Sometimes their comments are so unconscious that they are unknowingly, they are unknowingly belittling your grief. Or you feel belittled by the intolerance of the people who you want to understand the most. It just adds to the hurt and the self-questioning and the doubt so many of us carry in grief. I know too many people don't know what to say and that's okay. We'd rather someone say, I don't have the words, I'm so sorry. I'd so rather hear that. And I speak for a lot of us than for someone to try to make it better with some overly used platitude or cliche. I know people want me to be better whatever that means. But you can't make someone better or push someone into better or through grief into some other mythical happy side of it because there's no other side of grief to get to. It's a part of life. Right now, it's a part of life I hate. We hate it. But we're in it. And we're learning to take care of ourselves in it. And we're learning to love ourselves in it. And it's the hardest thing we've ever done. One of the hardest things. Aside from losing our loved ones. And I use the words you and I and we interchangeably here because I know I'm talking for others. Too often we find ourselves drowning in platitudes shoved down our throat by the greater culture. I'm shocked that even some professionals in the field are inadequate in their language. I met one man at an event. He was well known in the field. He is well known in the field and he counsels people in this arena and he's a speaker on the circuit of afterlife communication and grief. I was shocked when weeks after my mom passed and I met him at this conference and he said to me, you know, life goes on, why are you so upset? it was kinda like that and I was like whoa whoa I didn't say anything but it stung and it stunned it was like what's the matter with you get over it it was shaming alienating humiliating because it makes you doubt your feelings which are really the deepest feelings of love for your loved one turned on their head because they aren't sitting by your side in the way they used to moments, days, weeks, and years before. And even if there is more beyond this world, it doesn't mean you don't mourn or grieve. I remember a great mentor after my dad died said to me, you might as well grieve now because you're going to grieve whether it's now five months from now five years from now and now that I'm in the depth of grief I would say or the rest of your life I don't know years and years after my father passed I don't sit here grieving him anymore but with my mom things were different in fact I had this dream of my dad after he passed he was sitting by the ocean on some rocks, and he was wearing shorts and a short-sleeved shirt. It was a warm day, obviously. There was an ocean breeze, and there was another being sitting next to him that was kind of cloaked, almost looked like a, like the cloak of St. Francis, the St. Franciscan monks. And my father turned to him in the dream and said, I don't get it. If she knows about eternal life, Why is she so unhappy? And the irony is my father didn't think there was anything more after this life. (laughs) My father didn't, you know, I, I told him there's more, there's more, but he didn't think that. And he came to me in many dreams after he left to tell me of his experiences. But in this one dream, he was just so disturbed about my state of heart and mind. And this being, this man, or this presence next to him turned to him and said, Yes, even though she knows about eternal life, she's still in a body. She still has feelings. She's still in the human frame. And my father shook his head, chagrined, like, Okay, I get it, but I don't like it. And together they got up and walked away. So many platitudes and inadequate language and the positivity movement. Don't get me started. I'll address all these in another podcast and how to really comfort grief. But here's one more I want to share with you. You're never alone. You're never alone. I've had so many people say that. And maybe spiritually, I'm not alone. But yes, I'm very alone. I'm very alone. Are you there in the middle of the night or first thing in the morning when I wake with terror? Are you here to lie down next to? To feel your head next to mine or to know your breathing in the next room? Are you here to comfort me or for me to give comfort to you? A connection that defies connection. Are you here for breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Or to call to when I need to talk or hear your voice? Or check in with, or come home to, or come back to? Or to say, what are we having for dinner tonight? Or let's go out. Or look at the birds. Or isn't that sunset beautiful? A friend once said, why don't you go out walking? Because I used to go walking more. And I said to her, because there's no one to come home to. It was too painful for a time to leave the house and go for a long walk and come home. And it was hot where I live. Too hot to walk sometimes. Thankfully, thankfully, a few friends in faraway states said, you didn't just lose your mom. Your whole life is gone as you knew it everything in your world went poof. They got it. And I felt reassured because I was seen and validated. I wasn't going crazy. What I was feeling had a reality to it for me in the moment. And this kind of validation is huge for those of us who are suffering in this way. Otherwise, we end up feeling more alone pariahs in our own grief process, mistrusting ourselves, stuck in the dark and even more scared and unmoored from this world, floating out at sea or on an island with no human connection. Imagine being locked in a closet with your face against the wall and clothes and clutter everywhere and you can hardly breathe and you're scared. Now imagine someone is able to squeeze in there with you and their very presence doesn't crowd you but soothes you and they don't say a word but they're sitting with you and the closet widens a bit and then you feel their hand brush against yours or maybe they pat your shoulder or you're able to lean on them, and your body literally starts to calm because grief is physical. My cells felt like they were on fire not being able to hug my mom and see her and touch her and play with her. So when someone comes to sit with you, and you know they're breathing even in the next room, it's a human connection. And maybe they quietly say, they will stay with you for as long as you need, for as long as you want, for the rest of your life and all of your days, for as long as you're sad and hurt, and they don't push you to be out of it. And for their sheer love, for the weight of their love, you start to cry harder. For the relief that someone's near and hears you. Tears of grief are often mixed with tears of love. Gratitude, peace, beauty. And maybe later, maybe a long time later, you have no idea of time because time has no meaning anymore. You could stand up or move in the closet or turn the light on or reach for the knob and open the door. And no one can do that for me but me. But you can sit there with me, with us, widen the closet and let us be. People talk about letting go, moving on. But there is no letting go. There is only a letting be. I was at an event a few months ago and I had an encounter with two different people. The first woman came up to me and said, how are you doing? Interrupting a lunch I was involved with. She said, your mother would want you to be doing your creativity because that will give you joy. She said, you pushed me away last year. You know I'm your friend. And I'm thinking, friend? Has this woman reached out to me once in the last year? Once. And when I met her 17 days after my mom passed the year before, one of the first things she said was, are you cleaning your mom's closets out yet? I was so appalled and so shocked that I walked abruptly away telling her I had to attend to something else. So yeah, in that moment I cut her off because I couldn't breathe and I needed to survive. And I quietly reminded her of what she said. I said 17 days after my mom passed, she asked if I was cleaning her closets out. And she startled back a bit and said, oh, I don't remember that. And then she just continued and blabbed right on. know, well, your mom would really want this for you. She really wants you to be happy and, and, you know, go back to your creativity. And that gives you joy. And please don't tell me what you think my mom wants for me. That's what I wanted to say to her. And a lot more. I was so glad when she walked away. I had to get up because my heart was literally crushed and I was dizzy. I couldn't find my bearings. like somebody was, again, shoving, proselytizing to me about how to be. Not seen, not heard, my pain tucked away. Which is not what I or we or you, if you're grieving, want or need. So after this first woman came into my face telling me everything she thought she needed to tell me about how to be in my grief or how to move on from it. (laughs) Another woman the next day came, and she simply asked, how are you doing? And the way she asked was an invitation. I could feel it, not consciously, but we ended up sitting down and talking, and tears streamed my face as I told her how I really was. And at one point I said to her, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry to go on about this. And she said, please don't say that. Please don't say you're sorry. Please don't apologize. It's authentic. You're authentic. I miss that. That's what she said. She missed authenticity in this culture. She missed somebody who was just real with their feelings in the moment without having to say, I'm fine, and gloss it over and be positive. And at one point she told me she lost her mom the year before. And I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she waved her arm and said, no, it's okay. I didn't have the kind of relationship you had with your mom. And I was able to deeply reveal myself to her and feel seen and honored and loved and she appreciated it she was relieved to hear what she called authenticity I don't know that was her word and we both left with fuller hearts in the quiet of that sharing it's remarkable how listening to someone helps it's Not much else that does. A friend one day said, I feel so helpless. And I said to her, your helplessness is what helps me. And it stunned us both that I said that. But it was true. How it came out, how I said it to her. And she got it. She got it. She was relieved to hear that. That she didn't have to do anything. That listening and loving was enough. And it's that kind of listening and loving that still makes me weep because I feel received in that. And my mom was like that in her end years. And it's rare. It's rare. And when that kind of listening occurs with deep intimacy, it helps you feel tethered again. Because most days I feel untethered. I wrote this. It's called I Am a Feather. I am a feather wafting in the air since my mom left this world. Nothing to hold me here or there. No cords anywhere. I don't fly on my own volition. I don't spread my wings or have a mission. I waft and float on the winds Waiting for my mom to come with her love that tells me she is here. That she did not leave or part. I still waft and am a feather. Looking for my mom in all kinds of weather. Waiting for her to return. Or my return to her. Waiting for love to lift my heart. Or let me sleep. Waiting for the time when I no longer weep, waiting for the time when my mom and I dream together again. So how do you start to feel tethered? So how do you start to feel tethered again? Well nature, when I could get to it, often made me feel less alone. Seeing something extraordinary in nature, You know, bobcats in the wild going through the backyard or a great horned owl that just took me right out of my grief and into something, some connectivity, I mean, to nature, to a greater world. I don't know, but that was momentary. And I'll talk more about finding comfort in another podcast, but what I found for me that helped me feel tethered also was my ancestors. They made me feel less alone. I started researching the relatives on my mom's side of the family and I found myself reaching back. And in that, I was able to connect. I felt connected. The following piece is about finding ancestors, but it begins with someone I've known for a long time who was totally annoyed when I told her about my grief but I find my ancestors. And I don't even like calling them that because they feel like my relatives not dead but here alive and well. And they're helping me reaching back to find roots and feel connected again. This is finding ancestors reaching back to move forward connected once more. When I grew up all the neighborhood children played and All our parents party together. My mom was the last of those greats from her era to be here on Earth. And then I realized, no, she wasn't. One other had not gone on from our block from that time period. He died Christmas night. I talked to his daughter the next day. She asked how I was. I told her a bit about how I'd been. And she says, I don't understand how you could feel guilty. I don't call it guilt. I call it regret. And she said, well, I don't understand how you could feel regret. And there's definite annoyance in her voice. She says, you devoted your life to your mom. And it's true. And then the last many, many years. And yet I still had regrets. I know you can't understand, I finally say. And I joke, that's why I'm in therapy. because my regret and my grief they engulf and replay and loop in a hideous, traumatic, unwieldy way, yes? And I wish I had done some things different in the last year and in those last 23 days. Great sadness and suffering is now my lot and I retrace the loop. No one brings this on but me. My mother would not want this for me. I know that. But why is this old neighbor so annoyed? There's no compassion in her voice, only that she doesn't understand my pain at all. And I don't want to fight with another about how I am. I know I have to find a way to lay down the sword I carry against myself, to stop running in the maze. But I still hold the sword in my hand, and my legs won't stop shaking, and I'm running, and I'm trembling, and... You have been going for nine years caring for your mom, someone kindly said to me early on. That was true. And she was my world, my greatest love, my all. Anchors, unmoored, untethered. No glue here since my mom went on. No glue to spirit world where the connection had been strong. What happened? I start doing genealogy. I am at my cousin's home. His wife had done a lot of research on my dad's side. I see a passport picture of my dad with his two brothers and baby sister and his parents on their way to Romania. It is 1923, the year my mom is born, and my dad in 1923 is six years old when I learn his baby sister's name is Pearl I remember her name is Pearl I weep and cannot stop she did not return with him to the United States three years later when the family fled the pogroms against the Jews in Romania she died when she was one and a half and did not come home I think of my father when his baby sister died He was a seven or eight year old little boy. How that must have shaped him, shook him, of his enormous compassion for the world. He was the most compassionate person I ever knew. He didn't have to force his opinions and thoughts. He was the deepest listener. He would come up to me at times and just say, it's okay, everything's all right. Everything's all right. When I was hurt, And now I weep, and I weep, feeling the pain of his heart, thinking of how he must have wanted to comfort his own mother, too. Did he feel at all responsible, as often little children with magical thinking do? I think of my grandmother, and how she lost her then only daughter, her first baby girl, and I cannot stop weeping at what must have been her grief and of her having to carry on. She had more girl children and one boy child after they returned to America. But the passport picture of that little girl, her first beautiful girl. My research continues on. I think of two different sets of grand and great-grandparents in the late 1800s and early 1900s on both sides of the family who were divorced when divorce was an uncommon thing. I remember the stories of My great-grandfather, who died when my mom was only six years old. He owned a handle and spokes factory, started by his father. Word on the street is that at one time he made bats for Babe Ruth. I think of my great-great-grandfather, who founded the factory, which became a thriving business in its day. He took his own life in his mistress's house three years before my mom was born. What was his pain about? What a scandal that must have been back then. But what was his pain? I go back further on my mom's side to find my 10th and 11th great-grandfathers, both pastors, one who went to Harvard in the 1700s, and was a reformer, or around the time, and I'm presuming a reformer, because I found an article about it in the First Great Awakening movement that changed the Protestant church. And then I also find a ship captain on my mother's side. And I find that my mom's great and great-great-grandmother had her name before her, Catherine. I don't think she ever knew this. I find my fifth great-grandmother, born in 1723, two hundred years before my mom was born. She had the name of Wells. A name I chose in this life totally randomly, out of the blue. That's crazy, I thought. That's crazy! And suddenly, I start to feel more angered to my ancestors. While they're not here physically, I feel a veil lifting. I feel their eyes on me, watching over, like they are stepping up now to be my glue. I feel the dim outline of an anchor anchoring them to me and me to them and it makes me weep and it gives me hope and I don't know why but that these people in some sense might still be here for me. Whether I just wish it or whether it's true, I don't know. I imagine them wanting me to get up and go on for them as they did for me. That their enormous love is still here and that they understand my now pain too. Where they two lived, they loved, they hurt, and they cared. But they no longer want me to carry their tears and pain. My father is with his baby sister now. Their life goes on. They are safe. They are home. They want me to lie down and rest. Let the pain subside, roll aside, dissolve and pass away. They're on a new ship. They wave to me from across the shore, and in some sense they set my heart free. They are still with me. Tears roll my cheeks, and my heart is eased, and there is some strange peace. I see the anchor. It is dim, but it is there, and I rest. No, my old neighbor from long ago cannot understand. Next time I will not explain. Just say I'm doing fine, because most do not understand this particular grief, pain, sorrow, and regret. Whether how or what I feel should be or not be, it is my lot, not explainable to another not rational to another or even to me and so I will try less to understand. While comforted, knowing my ancestors, my relatives, do understand. They don't try to take the pain away or make it better, even as they may want me to set it down and aside. Instead, they stand with me, they wave to me, arms open wide, saying across the bow, We love you. We are with you. We love you. We are here. We are here. More bonded to my band that sings across the seven seas into the beyond, I rest and feel less alone. You have been listening to the Unfathomable Podcast with Elizabeth Wells. If you'd like to learn more about me or my work, please visit my website, www.elizabethwells.com That's Elizabeth with a Z, and Wells is spelled W-E-L-L-E-S elizabethwells.com. I invite you to sign up for my newsletter or contact me through my website on the contact page. Thank you for listening today. Thank you.